Hello, I'm Blair Lemke. Welcome to Let God Speak. Ancient Babylon was the center of apostasy. The false systems of religion originated from Babylon. Its teachings permeated Egypt, Assyria, Medo-Persia, Greece and Rome and reached down to our day. We're going to discuss two false beliefs that originated in ancient Babylon and yet are mainstream teaching in many Christian churches today. On our panel today, we have Casey Vikerka and Christopher Peterson. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. As always, let's begin our program with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word today. We ask for your Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, in the book of Isaiah chapter 14, the prophet Isaiah identifies Satan as the invisible king of Babylon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Of course, throughout Scripture, Babylon has become a symbol to represent apostasy throughout the ages. Casey, I'd like to ask you the question, how widespread is Satan's influence today? Mm. So it's well and truly global. And uh, this is backed up by uh, what's written in Revelation. If you have a look at Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, it says, um, talking about Satan, the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast out to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So there it says he deceives the whole world. Also, we can read in um, chapter 13 and verse 1 to 3. And it says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feast feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. And this is the key bit. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So this beast has a great influence and it's part of the false religious system in the last days. And behind it is Satan, the dragon. So he is using this to influence the whole world with his deceptive powers. Wow, so it's it's very uh, a, a very wide-reaching influence that that Satan has, and of course, other places in scriptures talk about the whole world being under the sway of the wicked one. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, this is something that as as Christians, as Bible students, we need to think through and contend with. Mm. Um, of course, the Bible uses two cities to represent two classes of people: uh, the Jerusalem to represent God's faithful people, and Babylon, this symbol again to represent. Uh, apostasy, right? I want to read a passage here in Revelation chapter 14, verse 8, and notice this Bible symbol being picked up on here. God's word says, another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This symbol of Babylon crops up here again. And uh, Christopher, I'd like to ask what is this wine that the Bible talks about here in connection with Babylon? Yeah, it's a it's a theme that we find all throughout Scripture that wine represents doctrines and teachings. 
And so here, the doctrines and teachings that Babylon is spreading through the whole world are false doctrines. If you think about wine, uh, when you drink it, it clouds the mind. It makes it difficult to think. You don't have clarity. And in the same way, these false teachings make it so that it's hard to concentrate and understand the truths of Scripture. It confuses the mind. Mm. And so that's why it's such a very good symbol to describe the false teachings of Babylon. So picking up on that, Casey, how does Satan spread and force his deception on the world using this wine or false doctrine, so to speak? Mm. So he uses... um agents and instruments. And we can learn a little bit about that in uh, Matthew chapter 24. If we have a quick look there, Matthew 24 verse 24, it says, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So you can imagine with these people um, that Satan is working through, you know, in modern day with all the media, they could even be on technology and different places like that. So they can have a lot of influence and Satan just works to spread um, falsehoods through those those people. Yeah, it's quite it's quite um, uh, pervasive, his influence, isn't he? He's trying to use whatever means possible to deceive the world and even Christians if mm. he can achieve his purpose. I'd like us to consider a verse here in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. God's word says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. A very powerful text here um, and one that communicates to us that we absolutely cannot trust our own sense of right, you know, our our own hearts. Our hearts are wicked. They can lead us astray. Mm. Um, So how exactly do we safeguard ourselves from Satan's deceptions, Christopher? Well, I think really in order to avoid deception, we need to know what the truth is. Mm. And when we look in the pages of scripture, there's really two ultimate sources of truth that are given to us. We read one example In John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples and he says to God the Father, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. So the word of God, the Bible, is a source of truth for us. It's where we discover and learn about God. But also if we look in John 14, 6, Jesus, he's talking with his disciples and he says to them, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus himself is also the embodiment of truth. Mm. So knowing who Jesus is, having a relationship with him and taking time to read the word of God will help us to avoid being deceived. Well, I think that's such an important point that you bring out because, you know, as we've seen in this text of scripture, it's possible to think you're right and yet be wrong. Mm. And, and, and many hundreds, thousands, millions in the world will find themselves in this sort of a, a position in the final analysis. And so how do we, what do we do? We turn to God's word. We, mm. we seek his Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. Mm. Uh, well, we've, we've been looking at this theme of false religion, Babylon being a symbol of this false doctrine. Um, and these false religions really originated in ancient Babylon. Uh, two of the false beliefs that have, we've seen emerge from Babylon and find themselves into the Christian church today, um, we're going to be exploring today. That's part of the theme of our study. Mm-hmm. For the first one, I'd like to take us to the book of Genesis, and we're going to look at one of these false teachings that has found its way into the church. We're going to be reading here Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, and God's word says this. 
Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree of the, uh, the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the, tru- the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What, Casey, is the false belief here that Satan is already sowing into the world right back there in the Garden of Eden? Mm. Well, we can see what the truth is when we go and see what God said. And if we can find that back in um, the previous chapter in Genesis chapter 2 and um, verse 17, where it says, God is t- saying to, um, to Adam here of, uh, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So here God has said plainly you will die if you eat this, but then Satan said you won't die. Complete contradiction. Um, and this, this idea that you won't die um, is at the foundation of what we call spiritualism, which um, is the belief that you can actually communicate with, with people who have already died. Yeah, wow. And this is this again is there's nothing new under the sun. The devil uses the same techniques time and time again, doesn't he? He tries to take God's word, twist them to make them represent something different and let it pass as truth. Mm. Uh, And and we we need to be aware and prepared to meet these techniques. Mm. Um, How exactly established is this lie of the immortality of the soul, Christopher? Well, it kind of feels like uh, no matter where you go, it, it permeates the culture around us, doesn't it? It's in uh, the stories we tell through uh, movies and shows and media. But what really is surprising is it's not exclusive to uh, the world outside of us. It's also within the church and in Christianity. There are many Christian churches today that still believe that at the point of death, our mortal soul immediately goes to heaven or to hell or perhaps even purgatory. But if you look in the pages of scripture, we can find no references to there being an, uh, an immortal soul that lives within us. So it's quite sad that this lie of Satan's that he told all the way back in Genesis has permeated our culture so much that it's still present today in even many churches. Mm. Mm. So given that it is quite prevalent, even in Christian churches, uh, how do we grapple with this? Do do Christians have an excuse for believing this sort of thing? Um, Is the Bible ambiguous or unclear around what happens when we die? The Bible is is very clear about the state of the dead. And there are a couple of texts I'll just to take to to um, give a snapshot of that. The first one is Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 5, uh, which says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. So that's pretty clear. When you die, you can't you don't know anything. You can't remember anything. Like you're, you're totally gone. Um, there's another thought that comes through uh, from the book of Job, if we quickly turn across there. Job uh, chapter 19 and verse 25 through to 27, 
And Job is speaking here saying, For I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I will see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. And uh, this one's very interesting because uh, it doesn't support the idea that when your body dies, your spirit lives on because Job is here saying that, yes, there will be life after death, but he will be in his flesh. So there's not a separation here. Um, And so this is instead alluding to the resurrection, which is um, taught in the Bible. And uh, we actually see that the immortality that is given to the righteous does take place at the second coming or the resurrection. Mm. It's not something that is given at the time of death. So 1 Thessalonians 4 is a brilliant passage uh, for us to read on this very topic. The Apostle Paul, he writes that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Mm -hmm. And there's really two important things from that passage. Firstly, we see that the eternal life that are given to those who are dead in Christ, they receive it at the second coming, not at their time of death. And verse 17 explains that further by saying that it's when both the living and the righteous who have been resurrected are together, brought together, then they are able to live with God forever. Mm. Well, that's really quite a deception, isn't it? That Satan would try to take something that God alone can give immortality Mm. and try to present it that actually you have immortality in yourself. You won't die. You surely won't die. And, you know, this again, we just see the father, uh, Satan being the father of lies. Mm. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. Um, Now, Jesus raised the widow of Nain's son, Jairus's daughter uh, and Lazarus from the dead. Multiple people from the dead in the Bible. Uh, How exactly does this, did Jesus describe death? Does this shed some further light on this topic at all? Well, definitely. We see that uh, Jesus had an instance where one of his best friends had actually passed away, Lazarus. So we find that in John chapter 11. And we'll read from verses 11 and 14. It says, These things Jesus said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So we've got this clear explanation and even the disciples struggle to get their heads around what's a quite a clear description. Jesus is saying, no, Lazarus isn't just taking a long nap. He's passed away. He's dead. But the, the metaphor that is being used is that Lazarus is asleep. And sleep is so, such a good description because like in Ecclesiastes 9.5, when you're asleep, you're not thinking, you don't have conscious thought, but it also means that you're awaiting to be woken up. You're waiting for the resurrection. I just love how plain Jesus has to be there. Yeah. <laughs> he, he says plainly, they're not asleep. Yeah. He'll get better, <laughs> won't he? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, it, the Bible is really clear mm. on what happens when we die. And so Satan's attempt to deceive, to lie about what happens here 
uh, can really should be able to be defended from Scripture yes. and responded to in God's Word. Mm-hmm. Now, what are the dangers, Casey, of Christians being deceived in this area on the immortality of the soul? Mm. Well, I mean, if, um, if you believe that people have a spirit living after they um, have died, then there's a temptation to think that somehow you could communicate to them. And um, Satan capitalizes on this um, because he... Um, puts his agents in that place, basically. So we may think we're communicating with people who have passed on, but it's not them because we know from the scripture that when you die, you don't know anything. So um, he can then, the danger is that as he then takes that place, he can communicate and then say things that you might believe in trust because you think you're talking to your loved one, but he can put lies in there. He can tell you to do things that are are going to be harmful or all manner of different things because as we talked before, he's the master of lies. So um, you can really get caught up in um, Satan's wiles by getting involved in that side of things. This is more than just some theological tenet or some abstract idea. It has real life implications. All, mm. all error does. It, it, it translates into how we live our lives and how we respond to the things around us. Um, I want to now pivot and have a look at our second deception from Babylon. Mm. Uh, and the other great deception that, of course, comes from Babylon uh, or one of the great deceptions is sun worship, one of these false Uh, systems of worship. And I'd like to ask you, Christopher, what are the origins of sun worship in Babylon and how does that connect to some modern day deceptions that we can see around us today? Yeah, well, Babylon, Babylon was one of many cultures around the world that practiced worshiping the sun. And the form that it took in Babylon was the worship of Bel Marduk. And he was depicted as sitting on a a golden throne. He had a lived in a golden temple, sat in front of a golden table all, a lot of gold to indicate, you know, his magnificence and power. And we know that clearly this is a form of improper worship. It's not worshiping God as a creator. But we also see today in the modern world, there are still various forms of improper worship. So one example is there are many faithful and uh, quite sincere Christians in the world, but They are not worshiping on the day that God has prescribed his people to worship in scripture Mm. rather than keeping the Sabbath on the seventh day, which is from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. They're worshiping on the first. So they might not be worshiping the sun like they did Bel Marduk back in the day, but it's still a form of improper worship, not the way that God has prescribed for us. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really important to point out. Uh, And. Did, did we, do we see evidence in the Bible of God's people getting caught up in, I mean, this is, this is in the false pagan religions, but do we mm. see God's people falling for this deception? Yeah, yeah. In the Bible, um, back in the time of the Jews, uh, we find them getting caught up in pagan practices like what was in their day. If we have a look in Ezekiel uh, chapter 8, uh, verse 15 and 16, um, it says, Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, you will see greater abominations than these. 
So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they were worshiping the sun towards the east. And so here they had an opportunity. They could have been worshiping God and they're worshiping the sun. You know, this was a total um, flip and a counterfeit. And um, they should have been worshiping the great creator. Um, and yeah, this was an example of them getting caught up with a pagan abomination and bring it into their own worship system. Yeah, uh, nobody is immune to the deceptions of Satan, even those that are put in places of privilege in terms of knowledge of God and knowledge of his word. And so mm. uh, some very important lessons for us. Christopher, does the Bible have any text to show that the change of the Sabbath from the seventh day, the Sabbath day was changed to the first day of the week to perhaps justify this modern day practice? Well, if there is, I haven't found it yet, Blair. <laughs> you can look through every page of Scripture and you'll never find that God specifically commands that his people should now worship on a different day other than the one that he blessed and set apart all the way back mm. in Genesis 2. And as Christians, we want to model our life after Jesus. And Jesus, in his life, he kept the Sabbath. So did his disciples and the apostles. They all kept the Sabbath day. In fact, Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 24, verse 20, he's describing, uh, he's prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And he says to them, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Mm. Now that's 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. But he still saw that his faithful believers would be keeping the seventh day Sabbath well past those events. So no matter where we go in scripture, it seems the command is explicitly given to us to worship God on the seventh day. Mm. So if this belief was of pagan origin connected to Babylon, uh, how exactly, Casey, did it find its way into the church? Mm, very good question. That takes us back in history a little bit to the emperor Roman Emperor Constantine. Um, he was an emperor who had quite a liking to um, sun worship. And uh, in 321 AD, Constantine passed the first Sunday law. Um, and the edict, the famous edict, which he did at that time, said, On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and the people residing in the cities rest and let all workshops be closed. So that was the the thing that they had to do back then. Um, now, whilst this didn't enforce Sunday observance in the Christian world, Constantine was the first uh, Roman emperor to actually claim to be a Christian, claim to have a Christian experience. And so there was a link there between Christianity and, and having some sort of a Sunday um, sacredness connection. And then in succeeding decades after that time, um, other emperors and popes continued to you know, nurture this idea. And um, there were state decrees and councils that more and more emphasized Sunday um, sacredness. And it became a day of worship in the Christian world and has become very much that way for the majority of Christians today. Wow. So we see here this idea of immortality of the soul kind of leading to spiritualism as a deception. Mm. Um, how, what does Sunday worship, what, what does this lead us to? What sort of deception does this lead us into, Casey? Yeah, good question. That one is, um, uh, 
It's, it's basically when you're acknowledging Sunday, um, you're actually acknowledging the authority of the, the Roman Church because the Roman Church actually freely admits that they made the change uh, from sun Saturday, uh, the seventh day of the week as being the sacred day of worship, to Sunday. And um, if, you, if you keep sun Sunday as sacred, then you're saying, okay, you're, you're respecting what they have done. And this very much actually overrides um, God's authority because he has made a day for worship and you're choosing an alternative. Um, and when you look at what Revelation says about um, what this false worship system is doing in the last days, uh, in Revelation 17, uh, the Roman church is going to be um, presenting war against God's people and also even putting restrictions on them and even issuing death threats against them. And so at the end of time, God will rescue his faithful people. But the key is you don't want to be on the wrong side. Mm. You want to be on the side where you're acknowledging God's day, because then that will be the mark that you are his and he can rescue you from those, mm. those calamitous times. So yeah, that's a really, really interesting point that you bring out about loyalty to giving loyalty back to the organization or the power that changed the day, the mm. Roman Catholic Church. And I've seen statements where, uh, where Roman Catholic officials will challenge Protestant Christians who worship on Sunday and say, uh, why are you worshiping on Sunday? You're giving your you know, homage to us. If you followed the Bible, you would worship on the Bible Sabbath. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, we see this kind of throughout, um, uh, yeah, this theme coming through. Mm. Um, I want to ask a question for you, Christopher. Um, we need to remember that when we are speaking of these systems, Babylon, um, you know, the, the, rev the woman in Revelation, these, these mm. powers, um, that we're talking about systems and doctrines, not individuals. And, and, you know, God has many faithful people in these institutions that he calls people out of, right? And so... Um, I want to I ask, put this question to you. What, what is God's appeal to people who may find themselves in one of these mm -hmm. systems, doctrines, belief systems that actually are counter to, to God's word? Mm. No, that's a great question, Blair. And we find the answer to that in Revelation chapter 18. In verses four and five, this is that call to come and worship God faithfully, as you mentioned. It says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Mm. So there's this calling for God's people who are faithful and sincere to come out of these false systems. And in Revelation, we see these false systems portrayed by two different women. In Revelation 12, there's a, a pure woman and she represents God's pure church. They're following him. They're worshiping him in the exact way that he's asked. Whereas in Revelation 17, we see another woman and she is uh, described as a harlot. She's externally, she looks like a church, mm. but inwardly is corrupt. And she is the one that spreads this wine of these false doctrines and teachings. So there's this call and appeal to come out of these systems that are sharing these uh, teachings of the immortality of the soul uh, and the transferring of Sabbath to the first day of the week and worshiping God in truth. Mm. Yeah, wow, what, is, what a powerful appeal, a powerful mm. appeal to, to return to God's word, mm. to follow his voice and follow after him. Mm. Well, that's all we have time for. 
Uh, in these last days, the devil is going to use spiritualism to deceive millions. He's also going to put extreme pressure on people to keep Sunday sacred. Are we so grounded in the scriptures and our relationship with God that we will stand for truth, even if it costs us our job, our loved ones, or even our life? The book of Revelation has the good news that those who are faithful to Jesus prevail victorious at the end. Babylon is indeed fallen. I encourage you to commit your life to Jesus and face the last days with confidence. Thank you for joining us on Let God Speak. All our past programs plus teacher's notes are available on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can email us on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Join us again next time. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.